before we start the show, I wanted to let you know about a limited opportunity. The doors are open to our online community. Where we're helping clinicians get confidence and success when dealing with the complexity of pain we see in practice. We have Brownie Thompson, Mike Stewart, and myself helping clinicians get the training they need to get comfortable managing pain well. You get live events, workshops, peer support, and direct feedback on your practice and your unique struggles. You can visit the community on your computer or on the go on your smartphone. The doors are closing on May 8th, so make sure you check out modernpainpro.com for all the details and to start transforming your practice today. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast, helping to improve the understanding and treatment of pain across the world through education, advice from experts in the field, personal stories from those living well with pain, and more. A modern approach to pain treatment, management, and education, while helping to bring the patient voice back to healthcare. This is the Modern Pain Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Cardula. What is going on, everybody? This is Mark Cardula, lead faculty and CEO here at Modern Pain Care, where we make you the complete clinician. Up again with another episode here of the Modern Pain Podcast. Uh, this one generated from uh, Jared Hall's social media feed, which is a big source of our, our uh, podcast topics. And I, I hope you guys continue to give us some topics, give us some ideas. Um, we've had folks messaging just regularly on, on things they'd like to hear us talk about. So we definitely be interested in hearing what you have uh, or what ideas you may have for us to chat about. But before we get into Jared's topic, let's uh, see how Jared's doing in his new abode, his new home. How are you doing, Jared? I'm doing good, man. Um, <laughs> interestingly, looking at this, like you can tell by the background, we went with a deep, cool blue-gray and I'm wearing kind of like a blue-green shirt and it looks like I'm blending into the wall. Uh, so if you guys are watching, um, I'm probably not going to wear this shirt on the podcast anymore because it it's a little bit too similar to the color of the walls. You're blending, but it's like a, a chameleon, but uh, all good. Maybe, you know, it could be one of our episodes. We talk about that it could kind of lend to it, but can you cue up a little bit of exactly, you know, what that episode uh, or what today's episode kind of uh, was formed from the, the, the social media post that you had made? Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll bring up that post. And I'll kind of read it off. Um, and I think that there's two main subtopics within this I kind of want to chat about. So the other day on Instagram, I reposted a post of mine from like four or five years ago. And on this post, I said, the three best exercises you can do are number one, the one that you can get yourself to do consistently. Number two, the one you enjoy Number three, the one that doesn't cause you pain when you do it. Um, so I remember back when I originally posted that, uh, it was kind of when I was going through a lot of my metamorphosis. And, um, you know, originally my metaphor metamorphosis focused around, you know, manual therapy and, and that sort of stuff and then understanding pain more. And then it kind of switched over to more of kind of trying to get into the nuance of exercise. And at this point, I was probably still doing uh, a lot of like those functional rehab exercises, a lot of, you know, BOSU balance stuff and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I was my background is in strength conditioning. So it's all about exercise form and it's all about biomechanics and stuff. And this is when I was coming to the conclusion. We need to stop nitpicking 
every exercise that somebody does. Like, oh man, you squatted and you went down too deep. Oh man, you squatted and your knees went over your toes. Oh man, you, you did a bench press or a push up and your elbows were flaring too much. It, and it goes, the list goes on and on. Oh, you're running, but you've got some dynamic valgus when you're, when you're out for a run. Oh, you're, pro, you're over pronating, et cetera. Uh, so then I started thinking, instead of putting barriers up to people exercising by saying they're not doing it correctly, we should just focus on actually getting it done, you know, finding, finding different exercise forms that people enjoy. And then I threw in, it probably shouldn't cause you a lot of pain when you do it. Um, so I think the one prong of this that I want to talk about is the over complexification, if you want to call it that, of exercise and how we put barriers on it. And that kind of makes people sometimes not want to do it. And then I also want to talk about that last point, the one about should exercise be pain-free or not. So I'll kind of tee that up for you, Mark, and see what you think about those two points. Yeah. Let, let's, I think a common one is the, you know, should exercise have pain? Cause I think that's definitely in a common discussion we have in clinic with students, um, in our, at our university, as far as, you know, what are your thoughts on having somebody, you know, work into some discomfort here? And I, I'd, I'd say the general, you know, without me having had my lectures to these folks, uh, they, you know, tend to stray away from anything that ca- creates discomfort. Um, I think it's just our natural way we're programmed as PTs of, you know, t- tendency to like, if it hurts, we shouldn't do it. And, um, but we have to recognize how that's going to be received from our, from our patients. You know, if that's kind of how we're, we're portraying exercises, it's something that only can be done when, when things are feeling perfect. Uh, we greatly limit, I think, our ability to help a lot of people as far as get people exercising. So, I am uh, definitely think understanding a little bit more of, you know, because obviously if it's a 10 out of 10 pain and, you know, it's excruciating and we've quality, you know, you've done a good job of understanding the human in front of you as far as how their symptoms behave, some of that irritability factors and severity of their condition, then you might have a little bit less of a green light to say, hey, I'm willing to nudge into pain. If you hear somebody's history that they've spoken to you or their interview and they've said, yeah, if I if my pain's provoked, it's going to be there for like the rest of the day. And I really got to shut it down for, you know, a day to, to kind of recover. That's a, you know, severely irritable condition. You're probably not going to want to mess with symptoms, you know? And so how you instruct that should be reflective of, Hey, you know, I'm okay for you going to the edge, but I don't want you going into any symptoms today. Um, but it'd be, then the, the opposite end of the spectrum is the person who's, oh, if I, you know, work 12 hours at, towards the end, I get a little, you know, three out of 10 ache in my shoulder and, you know, within an hour of just resting, it's back doing good. Then obviously that's low irritability and you have a lot of green lights to play with it, but that's where you got to have a process to pro, to apply this stuff and, and really stage a patient of where they're at, where's their symptom behavior that day in front of you and ad- adapt your exercises to that point. But what do you see with, with uh, students and uh, clinicians out there, not just students, because I know you and I work with a lot of students, but um, what do you see in the general populace as far as, you know, painful exercises? I think there's kind of been big swings both ways, I think, and, uh, you know, obviously a lot of nuance that's involved. Yeah, there's a lot of nuance, and I think that's why we wanted to jump on and talk about this, you know, because thinking back on this like five years ago when I wrote this, I was kind of in the mindset of, uh, you know, kind of that whole let pain be your guide thing, I guess. But 
the oversimplified version of let pain be your guide. If you have pain, don't do it. If it hurts, don't do it type of thing. Um, back then. And I was dealing with, I was seeing a lot of like CrossFitters and exercisers and military guys at this point in time. And so I was biased. I had a sampling bias based on my patient population because my patient population was a, was a group of people that kept ramming into painful conditions as well. Right. They're like, well, you know, my knee hurts really bad, but I'm not going to stop doing CrossFit or I'm not going to modify. I'm just going to keep slamming into it. Or military guys are like, well, yeah, my shoulder hurts, but I just keep going. I just keep rucking and I keep doing this and I keep doing that. And it's whatever, you know? Um, so I was in the mindset then at that point, like, damn, you know, if all of these people just dialed it back a little bit and, and listened to their body at touch and we could work on some dosing and maybe not ram into that stuff that's pretty sensitive, they would do better. Um, and then I was extrapolating that out to the general public, thinking to myself, well, um, a lot of people don't want to, as you mentioned earlier, don't want to do exercise that is painful. Like they're like, they're worried, they're scared, like, hey, I'm not going to push into that exercise. I'm not going to do that activity because it's painful. Um, and then they'll shut it down, right? And they won't do any activity at all. They, they maybe won't cross train. Maybe they won't find something different because they're like, well, when I move, when I squat, when I do this, when I do that, it causes me pain. So they stop looking for modifications for themselves or they stop looking for other activities that they might enjoy. So I was back where my brain was then kind of rationalized the uh, avoiding pain with exercise. And I, because I still think that there are places where that's reasonable, but as you just described, that's definitely not a general rule. We should slap one to all people because, uh, I mean, I think about myself personally, if I was never to do an exercise that hurt a little bit or was sore a little bit, I would exercise a heck of a lot less than I exercise now. And there's a lot of things that once you kind of get going and you get warmed up and you groove into a couple of warm up sets, well, then your body feels pretty good after that, right? Your, your diffuse noxious inhibitory control kicks in and you're like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm loose. I'm good. I can, I can work through this. And I actually do exercise to feel better because it doesn't feel good in the beginning. And then, you know, I'm good for the rest of the day or I'm good for a couple of days after that, because I did do that exercise. It was a little bit tweaky at first. So there's a, there's a lot of nuance there. So I think in different patient populations and different, different demographics that we interact with, and probably to some degree, different cultures, you know, right. Uh, different cultures around the world have uh, different perceptions and understandings of pain and, and uh, whether or not exercise should be painful or not, it, it's going to it's going to vary across those different cultures and those different patient populations. Because if I've got a runner, right, who is continuing to blast out 40 or 50 or 60 miles a week on something that is killing them, but they just can't give up running, they just want to keep keep going into it. Well, it, it might be worth it to back out of whatever that specific mode of training or that that volume of training is that's causing pain. Uh, to allow that to calm down before you work back into it. Same thing with, you know, the CrossFitter or, or the military person or whatever it is. It's just like ramming into it, right? I'm, I'm giving these stereotype generalizations of runners and CrossFitters and military people because uh, you just kind of more often than not, there's a personality type that drives people that direction of, of toughness, right? They're tough and they like to do what they like to do and they're not going to, they're not going to deviate from it versus, you know, your average gin pop person who is like, ooh, it hurts to squat. Ooh, I'm not going to go up and down stairs. I'm just going to take the elevator nowadays. 
like, well, maybe that person should actually expose into that a little bit and we should normalize pain or we should normalize some discomfort or some soreness so we can actually expose them. Uh, so I think we can't talk about, we can't talk about um, people's perceptions without actually looking at subgroups and different cultures and different, um, different, uh, you know, domains of people. Yeah, I think, and that brings up a good point too, because I, I sometimes wonder like, and I know these discussions have gone on as far as like, you know, just general like Western medicine culture. I think it's very pain adverse. You know, the pain is the, you know, the sixth or fifth vital sign. I don't even, whatever one it was. Uh, I'm too early to remember that number, but um, where it became such a like dictator of like, and in, in certain cases, of course it should be, you know, you know, certain you know, diseases and illnesses, you know, pain's a marker of, of some, you know, some sinister stuff. And obviously as clinicians, we need to be aware of that and, and constantly be, you know, screening and making sure it's not pain. That's something that we shouldn't be dawdling with and maybe even shouldn't be in our clinic if you're working in a rehab setting. But I, I sometimes wonder if there's just been such a narrowing of that bell curve to where it's either folks are so pain adverse to the point, you know, any pain is just, you know, feared. And, I, and again, I don't blame it because I think, again, culturally, we've constructed these thoughts on pain um, often. And in the cultures you speak of, of military culture, like especially like the ultra marathon culture um, and others where it's just, man, pain is you just, it's part of the gig. You push through it, pain's weakness, leaving the body. Some of these different things that you hear in these, in these groups of people that, that were maybe not the best way of, of navigating with pain, but I sometimes I uh, think we struggle with more of the issue um, and both from a patient, just general understanding of pain in the general pu public is, and some of the messaging out there is like, Oh gosh, if you have the least little, you know, pain or something, you need to have something done or, or corrected or anything, you know, something like that. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the bigger issue in my opinion than the, um, you know, although that's definitely can be, depends on where you work too. I don't work, I definitely work with a, my share of runners and folks with that kind of pain is weakness in the body. But I'd say my bigger issue I see in clinic are folks that are very fearful, scared of what pain represents for them. Um, that it's, you know, a lot of the imaging stuff that comes along with it, bone on bone and all that that we've probably talked about in, in extreme detail and in frustrated uh, tones around. But um, what it... What, uh, you know, and to me, I think there's just so much that we need to do. And that's part of why we make this podcast and probably gonna be looking at some projects where we have a little bit more public facing information for people. But um, what do you think about that? I mean, do you think uh, from a just general public perspective of, of pain and exercise that we're up against it a little bit? Yeah, it's really tough. I think, um, <laughs> I mean, you alluded to it when, when you go back into a lot of people don't realize this, this pain is, this pain is the sixth vital sign or whatever number it is. I don't know. All of that stuff is new and it just came about within the last 30 years. Right. Um, and the whole, the whole, uh, dramatic increase in opioid prescriptions and stuff that all came about in the, it came about in the early nineties, early and mid nineties. And, uh, th there's just, we could go into depth on that. There's a lot of misunderstanding, but that, that whole concept of treating pain, treat pain, treat pain, treat pain, treat pain. Um, while there's some historical relevance to it, of course, because pain is something that is unpleasant to experience, we've always tried to avoid it just inherently and evolutionarily speaking. Um, but the over-medicalization of pain 
has really dramatically increased within uh, mine and yours lifetime, you know, recent years. So I think we're, we're up against it because what you have is the vast majority of adults right now in the world have grown up in a world where we've over-medicalized pain. Uh, the vast majority of healthcare providers have gone through training in curriculum where we over-medicalize pain and under-educate about what pain actually is. So the massive public health mountain that we're facing right now to change the general population's perception about what pain is, what pain means, uh, medicalization of pain, uh, what it is to live with pain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? The, the list goes on. It is a really, really, really big, difficult, complex challenge. And of course, that's why you and I, we beat our little drum over here in the corner, Modern Pain Care's drum and Jared and Mark's drum. And we get people like Cameron and Zach. And of course, there's other people like Adrian Lowe and Laura Mosley and Laura Rathbone and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All these people that are beating this drum and uh, we're trying to get the word out, but uh, we need more people to jump on board. <laughs> we need yeah. more people disseminating this information. So it actually ends up making all of our jobs easier, all of our lives better. And, uh, you know, finally creates that tipping point. You know, it's got to start somewhere, I guess, man, went, got up on my little soapbox and, you know, trying mm -hmm. to rally the troops right now. No, I dig it. You know me, I'm, I'm never shy to step on the box, but, um, the, I, I think you bring up good points, just over medicalization. We see it too. And I think we have a lot of well-meaning healthcare people out there that because of that over medicalization in their ed education, we get these things that come into clinic, never lift, never, you should never walk or weight, weight bear. Everything should be non-weight bearing yet. Life is completely different. But again, that comes from probably an education where, we over-medicalize pain to where it's very representative tissue and you gotta, you should never threaten your tissues with load and, and things, which obviously we know uh, research has called into significant question. A lot of those thought processes of avoiding stimulus, mechanical stimulus to tissues, especially ones that are showing signs of arthritis and things like that. So yeah, uh, good points. Um, you know, we've probably focused more on the, the, the pain perspective of, uh, you know, as far as exercises shouldn't hurt when you made your post, um, which is, uh, it sounds like you've, you've, you've come, you've painted a good picture of how you've come kind of full circle and where that kind of comes from in your clinical past and, and now present as far as how you look at it. Uh, anything else you wanted to add in regards to your three best exercises you can do? I know there were two things that originally you, you said, and I honestly don't remember the first one. So um, you can, if there's anything else uh, you want to throw in there, brother, you go for it. Yeah, it was the other ones were um, the exercise that you can get yourself to do consistently and the exercise that you enjoy. Um, so I think that that can be summed up, you know, as a message to clinicians. Stop freaking putting barriers on exercise for people. Um, our primary mode should be to get people moving, right? That, that should be our primary objective because there are so many people who don't move or they restrict their movement. They, they make their world small. They stop doing things that they enjoy um, because we demonize exercise or we demonize movement or we hyper complexify it with all of these extra rules and we put people into a little tiny box of movement that they can do. Stop, stop, get people moving, man. We've got, we've got a pandemic of under movement, right? So 
uh, if we can take away those restrictions and focus on what can people do consistently and maybe maybe consider what they would enjoy doing and have fun doing and really start focusing on prescribing movement to them in those domains, I think in general, my, my belief and hope is that we would make the entire world a little bit healthier because we're just championing movement of any of any various different sorts and various different types. And we're, we're emphasizing the funness to it because fun is going to build consistency. When you enjoy doing something, you're going to do it more often. When I give somebody a, a sterile medicalized home exercise program, a lot of times it doesn't get done. You know, even if I think it's the best exercises for them, it doesn't get done. But if I can make it fun or if I can make it easy, if I can build it into their life, it gets done a lot more. So we need to start thinking about those components instead of the best, most optimal, perfect medical exercise. We start thinking about what is this person actually going to be able to do and what might they enjoy? And let's use that. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely been a, a way my practice has evolved. You know, I, I went through, you know, Gray Cook's FMS and SF, um, SFMA and not that it's bad. It's obviously got its weaknesses. It's got its strengths too. I'm not here to get that argument stirred up, but um, it's, but it becomes very much, this is the road of exercise and movement for you, for everybody, you know, and it's very much, you know, becomes a clinician centered exercise prescription. And I think the thing that if anything pains, uh, taught us and, and some of this pain science information is like, you need to fit it to the unique human in front of you. And you know what, a lot of those things that come out of, uh, Greg Cook's books, although can be very helpful for some and people, some people love it aren't going to get done and it's there's a lot of barriers with bands and things and it, it doesn't bring some a lot of people joy and happiness to to be able to do a chop and lift pattern in certain directions with you know standing in a certain unstable surface and and doing different things again not that that can't be helpful for and very you know satisfying for some people but this to blanket apply it to, to any group of people because there's always going to be unique people where that's just nothing of what brings value to their life and that they would that would get them to even think about being compliant with exercises but if you can make a point clinically to just be genuinely curious genuinely curious i should say and genuinely like what can i pull out of this person that brings them some happiness some joy some movements that may not look good on the biomechanical grading front but damn it they're moving and they're doing things they enjoy it's a hard switch i think for some clinicians because we get so programmed of like Oh my God, he's got dynamic valgus, Jared, when he's walking and the, the knees got away. How can I do that? I've, I'll, I, I still get students in clinic because I got a gentleman right now. He's got, I think I've mentioned him in the podcast. He's got grade four on the Kelgren Lawrence. He's look, his knee is just nasty. I don't get worried about him doing anything about knees over toes. Just move my friend. Let's get you doing stuff. He does. We step over hurdles. He's 87 years old. Um, we do just a lot of balance work. He does, he gets on the knee extension machine because he loves it, cranks it out. Knee does, I know, I know. Actually, you know what? I got one of these, uh, it doesn't play right now, of course, but I had a sound effect that I thought was going to be, would, would have just turned on right now, but it didn't. So, um, but anyway, um, yeah, it's just uh, things that I would have never thought I'd do in the past, but um, I think we just got to realize that, you know, now if that's somebody who's high performance, you know, uh, you know, competitive athlete, you know, track person, then maybe tinkering with that, you know, can be, you know, more helpful. Or maybe if you play with it and tinker with it, it alters their pain and allows them to move, then great. But so I don't want to say there's not a time where you can't monkey with it, but 
being a person-centered prescriber of exerciser versus a clinician-centered prescriber of exercise is a switch I think we all need to make. And doesn't mean you're sacrificing your, to me, I think it's more skill to fit it to the unique human in front of you and do a very big investigative approach of what is going to tap into this person's why and what and what gets them out of bed and gets them maybe complying with what I want them to do. So what are your th- recommendations to students? And we're, we're about hitting our, our 23 minute point here, Jared. So what are your recommendations to, to close this up for our listeners? Man, um, recognize that it's not black and white. There's nuance. Um, In some cases, exercising without pain might be the best approach. In some cases, pushing into pain might be the best approach. You've got to fit that to the person in front of you, the goals, their history, their presentation. Um, And uh, let's, let's take barriers away from exercise and movement rather than putting barriers and exercise on exercise and movement um, and, and recognize that mechanics, while they're important, probably aren't as important for the average person doing their average everyday life um, as they are for a high level athlete or somebody performing at the, the, the maximum of their physical capacity. The mechanics become more, more important then, right, for performance and at, at um, maximum strength and output and maximum power and all that sort of stuff. So uh, take, take barriers away. Don't put barriers on. And uh, really try to think about the nuance of the individual person that you're dealing with and recognize that both extremes of that uh, pain or no pain continuum are probably not correct for most people. Very good points. So we're going to leave it at that for this episode. And uh, for you that are listening or for all you that are listening, we greatly appreciate it. We'd love to hear other thoughts you guys have on the podcast, things you might want to hear us talk about, you know where to find us on social media. Just definitely reach out, message us. Um, these are the topics. We want to bring topics that bring you guys value and, and help you guys in your practice. So definitely reach out, let us know. Um, but we're going to wrap it up for this week. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode and we will see you next week. This has been another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with Dr. Mark Karchula. Join us next time as we continue our journey to help change the story around pain. For more information on the show, visit modernpaincare.com. Also, visit the Pain Masterminds Network on Facebook for free education and resources. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. Please consult a licensed professional for your specific medical needs. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast.